0: Hey guys, Kate here, and you're listening to Traveller Kate. I created this podcast to inspire travel and encourage people to do so with meaningful purpose and a conscious heart. for joining me. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Now last week I spoke on Where Wild Things Roam podcast to a good friend of mine in Rwanda. His name is Greg Bakunzi and he is the founder of Red Rocks Initiative. So I thought this week on Traveller Kate I will actually have a chat to you about Rwanda. And give you my insight, what to expect, and just some tips and tricks so you can be prepared and make the most of your visit there. So, starting off, I have traveled a lot of Africa, and I remember I had my first trip to Rwanda in 2018, and it was predominantly to go see the gorillas. I'd the year before previously trekked gorillas in Uganda. And I heard that the experience in Rwanda was possibly better. So I wanted to compare the two. Now, before I arrived in Rwanda, I knew nothing about the country except that it had been through a pretty harsh genocide and that they had gorillas. That was it. That's all I knew. So you can imagine my surprise when I touched down in Kigali, which is the capital city of Rwanda how different it was to the Africa I knew. Normally you come into one of these big cities and it's crazy and chaotic and it's bustling and noisy and you've kind of got to watch your back a bit and you've got a little bit of nerves there because of the safety issues, but it was nothing like that at all. It's very developed It's very clean. It's one of the cleanest places in the world I've ever visited, even more so than Singapore. And it was very safe. As a solo female traveler, I have never felt so welcomed. And the people were so friendly and kind. And not once did I ever feel nervous, walking around by myself even. So it was a surprise. I at the start, felt a little bit disappointed because I love that kind of chaotic Africa. I love the excitement of being in the big cities and everything is crazy. But then I grew to love this type of Africa as well and that you can enjoy it with a bit more of a relaxed nerve about you. So Kigali, like I said, is the capital. And I do recommend spending some time there before you go off and explore the rest of the country. Reason being is this is a country with a bit of history and you really want to understand why the country is the way it is and where it's at now and more about the people because you are going to meet a lot of people along your way on your, your travels there. They will come up and talk to you. They're so friendly And you want to interact with them. So I guess to know a bit of their history is very important so you know exactly where they've come from. And I guess just in that cultural sense, just to be a bit more respectful. Now, I'm only going to touch on this very lightly. And for those people who don't know about the Rwandan genocide, it happened in 1994, where over the span of just 100 days, some 800,000 Rwandans were slaughtered and it was quite a horrific, dark time for the country. I think the best thing that you can do when visiting Rwanda is start off in Kigali by going and visiting the Kigali Genocide Memorial. It's a place where you can learn a lot more about what happened during that time, what events led to to it happening and how the country has come through and recovered from that. It's also a place where you can pay respects. There is a mass grave there. It is one of just a number of mass graves around the country, but the one in Kingali is probably the most commonly visited. I do recommend doing the visit in the morning if you can and have the afternoon off just to reflect and absorb what you do learn. It is quite a gut-wrenching experience and I know it affected me quite a bit. So you kind of want to take the time just to take it all in and understand it before you go off and explore the rest of the country. Beyond that, Kigali is a city that has so much to offer. If you've got the time, spend some time there. Go out, have a meal at night. Enjoy the nightlife. It's such a buzzing town at night. The bars for a drink, go to the nightclubs, have a little dance, get out amongst the locals, and they would love to share their city with you. The art scene in town is absolutely phenomenal. There are some great art galleries if that's your thing. There's museums, there's cultural activities happening, there's lots of shopping. It is a town that you could spend weeks in and still not scratch the surface. So moving out of the city now and exploring the rest of the country, I really want to point out the fact that yes, Rwanda is a small country, but don't be fooled in thinking that you can go and see quite a bit in a small amount of time because you can get from A to B quite quickly. That is not the case. This country is known as the land of a thousand hills and that is because there are thousands of hills. It is beautifully scenic, but it will take your travel time a lot longer. You're winding in and out of these hills and mountains and up and over, and while the roads are absolutely impeccable, I don't think I saw one pothole the whole time I was there, it will take you time to get from destination to destination. But look, That drive time is actually a good time to just sit back and relax and and take in the country. Like I said, it is beautifully scenic, these these hills and rolling green mountains everywhere you look. And also the little towns that you go through and villages, the people will come out and the locals will come out and say hello to you. They're so friendly and so colourful. It makes the the drive to the destination just as exciting as as when you get there. But moving south from Kingali now, I wanted to talk to you about a place called Nyungwe. Now, I'm going to say this probably about all the spots in Rwanda I'm going to talk to you about. It's one of my (laughs) favourites. It's one of my favourites. They're all my favourites. But this area is really special because... What it is, it's a large tropical Afro montane rainforest area, and it's probably one of the most preserved forests in Africa. With that comes this kind of magical sense of just being in a really, really old and ancient place that you just want to get out and explore. It's very calming. And I just found this area, you could just breathe so easily and just relax. Now, before you arrive at Nyangwei, you drive through an area, and I hope I pronounce this correctly, Jinseni. And what this area is, is actually where you'll find a lot of tea plantations and coffee plantations. A nice little thing to do in this area is do stop, and if there's the men and women in the field picking tea, Go and have a chat to them. They'll explain to you what happens with the whole process and even show you how to pick the tea. It's not as easy as it looks, I'll tell you that. But moving through this area and that's where you'll get to Nyungwe Forest National Park. Now this has been a national park since 2004 but this area is the largest tropical afro-montane rainforest in East Africa and it's probably one of the most preserved forests in Africa. It's a really important site for biodiversity in Rwanda because it's home to thousands of wildlife, animals, flora, fauna. There's, there's a lot of creation going on in this rainforest area and It's also a great place to actually get out and explore by foot. So there's a number of hiking tracks throughout the National Park from day trips all the way up to overnights and longer hikes. Um, A really nice hike to do is the one that leads to the Canopy Walk. So what they've done is built a canopy walk, which is kind of a suspended bridge across the top of the canopy. And as you do this walk, you can look down below you at the rainforest, and generally because of its elevation, I think at the most it gets up to about 3,000 metres above sea level. You've got low-lying clouds, and it's that whole gorillas in the mist feel where the greenery is below you, and you can hear the different monkey species calling out. And then this mist is just rising up with with the clouds. It looks fantastic. Now, if you're lucky, you can actually spot wildlife from this canopy walk. I saw on my first trip out there colobus monkeys. And it was incredible because you're actually at the same level as them, if not that little bit higher. And looking out and across and down at them. Normally, when you do primate walks and treks, you're on the ground and you're looking up to find them. So it felt like you were in their family and you're a part of it. And it's a lot more intimate, I think. It's definitely worth a walk to go out there. So put that on your list is the Canopy Walk in Young Way Forest. Now, another reason people come down to this area, obviously, not just the amazing rainforest and its walks, but is the wildlife. So I think 13 primate species in this area. The chimpanzee trekking is one of the main draw cards, but you've also got the Angola colobus monkeys and several other monkey species. There's golden cats and dukas in the area. So a lot more to see and do than just a day trip. Make sure you lock in a couple of nights in young Now, moving north from Yangwe and heading up the eastern side of Rwanda is Lake Kivu. This is an area and the drive, I guess, up north to Volcanoes National Park is probably the prettiest, most scenic drives in the country because of Lake Kivu. So you're winding around the mountains and you've got Lake Kivu um, to your east And Lake Kivu is one of the largest lakes in the area. I believe it's part of the Great African Lakes, and it shares its border, well, basically halfway down, with the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, this lake is once again incredibly scenic. There's accommodation offerings, so you can stay on the lake, uh, on the coast of the lake, and wake up in the morning, watch the sunrise over the lake. It's a hive of activity. There's a lot going on. A lot of locals rely on the lake for their daily lives. It's actually quite an interesting lake as well because underneath it lies a a pocket of methane gas. So back in the days, I believe it was um, a little bit unstable because there had been a few eruptions with this gas. Now they actually um, extract the gas. So that's not a problem at all to the point where you can actually swim in this lake. I swam in it last time I was there and it's fresh water and not like, I guess, other parts of Africa where you need to worry about bulhazia or crocodiles and wildlife or hippos being in the lake. It's it's completely safe. You can do kayaking on the lake. A lot of people will go out and have a swim. And it's just, I guess, a way of life for the locals there. And uh, like I said, their livelihood depends on it. And if you hit the Lake Kivu at the right time of the year when the season is open for fishing, there is the famous singing fishermen of Lake Kivu. Now they go out in their boats, these wooden canoes with kind of like outrigger on either side, and they've got these giant poles that come out the side of the boat and that's what drags the fishing nets. But as they go out at night, they they sing as they, they row these canoes And it is the most soulful sound because what it does, it carries across the water and up into the hills and it it just sounds so beautiful. It's magic. So I don't know what time of the year because they do have um, regulations on when they can and can't fish. But if you do hit the right time of the year, you'll know it. You'll hear them. They're absolutely magical. You might actually want to stop in this area overnight because what it does, it, it breaks the journey from Young Way up to Volcanoes National Park in the north and it is quite a long drive. It's quite a scenic place to have a stay. So I stayed at Emerud and that's on the top of a hill looking over the lake. Both times I've, I've stayed there and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, moving north to Volcanoes National Park. This is one of the reasons most people come to Rwanda. It's the home of the mountain gorillas. So there's a little bit to talk about here and I'm going to try and get as much information in for you as possible. Do not do the drive from Kingali straight to volcanoes and go straight into your gorilla trek. It is too hectic. Your gorilla trek will start early in the morning. That means you have to leave Kingali by about 3 a.m., you're driving on dark roads, it's not worth it. You want to wake up fresh and be able to hit that gorilla trek with all the energy anticipation in the world. You don't want to be having to travel the distance and then do your trek. So there's a town outside Volcanoes National Park called Masanzi. This is basically your launching pad for gorilla trekking and kind of the tourism hub of the area. Now, stay a couple of nights in Masanzi. There is a lot to do within town itself. And one of those things is the Diane Fossey Gorilla Centre. Do go and have a look at it because there's a lot of information there about who she is, what she did for the gorillas, and why she was such an important part of, of the gorilla uh, conservation in the area. There's also a number of things you can do up in Volcanoes National Park that is not gorilla trekking. So you can do your hiking once again. There are other primates that you can see within the area. And you can actually do some camping. And I believe that there's some beautiful volcano tracks that you can walk. So... It's definitely in a place where it's not all about the gorillas. So do spend a few days out there and and really just get yourself ready and prepped for what's going to be probably the most amazing thing you do in your life. So let's talk now about the whole gorilla trekking experience. The gorillas you're going to see in Rwanda are mountain gorillas and they can only be found in two areas in the entire world. So there's a trans transboundary area Virunga massive in the Virunga Mountains. So this is a vast area that covers Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo and Uganda. The only other place that you can find them is in, also in Uganda in Bwindi impenetrable forest, but basically nowhere else. That's it. So it's only a small area for these mountain gorillas to survive in. Now, when they were discovered back in 1902, they were heavily targeted by poachers for pets and body parts. The the human destruction of their their habitat and where they lived meant their numbers declined incredibly close to extinction. So they are on the endangered list. And they are very vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable. But the last census counted over a thousand gorillas, which sounds very, very, very low, and it is. But it's actually an increase to the last count. So I think previously counted there was 800 um, known gorillas in the wild. So the fact that their numbers are increasing is great news. It's still a number that's incredibly low, and um, it, it needs to increase. So basically, the conservation policies are in place, and regulated tourism activities, daily protection of these animals is absolutely vital. So a gorilla permit's going to set you back one thousand five hundred U.S. dollars. It seems like a lot of money, but you need to understand where that money is being invested into and that is the conservation of the very animals that you're going to go see if that this is not done then these animals won't be around for our future generations to see they they will not survive so spending $1,500 for this kind of an experience is well worth every penny for starters but not just for your experience, but for what it gives to the gorillas as well. Now, one of the main questions I get asked with the gorilla trekking is how hard is it? And I guess the only way I can explain that is you don't realise how hard it is until you start aching the next day. Um, Because any cuts and scratches or bruises or nettle stings or ant bites that you get on the way up or however hard that trek is, you're not thinking about it because the adrenaline and excitement that's pumping through your body in anticipation for that first meeting, you don't even think about it. Realistically though, the way that they operate these gorilla treks. So you arrive early in the morning to a place that I like to call base camp and that's at the bottom of the mountain, the mountain region. And it's really set up well because Basically, they'll only take eight people per group maximum and only a set amount of groups up into the mountain each day. So controlling the numbers of people that are going up and and spending time with these gorillas is vital. Now, you can actually choose what kind of a hike you want to do or trek experience in some sort of sense. So basically, there are ranges on those mountains that know what gorilla families are where. So is there going to be a family that's closer to the bottom of the mountain, which means it might be an easier trek or a shorter trek. There might be a family that's quite high up in the mountain and moving quickly. So that might be quite a hard trek. This So they'll know exactly where these families are generally and they'll judge, okay, will we? with this day we're going to have three easy treks and two hard treks or one easy trek and four hard treks and one medium trek. So don't think that because you're too old or because you might have a sort of disability or because you might be unfit that you can't do this. Everybody can do this. It just comes down to what capacity you can, what group you're going to be in and and what capacity you can go at. There is an age limit um, or an, an age limit for the kids. So you you cannot trek unless you're older than 13. And I think when it comes to the elderly, it's a matter of how you think you can handle it. Now, one thing they will definitely do is say, do not go out on those treks if you are sick or feeling unwell, because the last thing you want to do is have some sort of a, even a common cold and take that up and infect the animals. It will kill them. So they're very, very strict on that. So you get to base camp and you decide what kind of a, a, a trek you you want to be in for. And if you're going to go for the easy trek, then you'll be put in a group with, with people that will do the easy trek. Now, I've done a hard one and I've done an easy one. So the hard one, it might not necessarily be hard as in it goes for a long time, but it might be hard in the sense that the terrain that you're climbing is difficult. So it's not just a stroll in the park. You have to have proper equipment. If you don't have your own hiking equipment, you can hire it on the day or beforehand and that way you don't have to worry about lugging it over in your suitcase and traveling with it so basically you're going to need a good pair of hiking shoes a decent pair of socks gaiters if you have them i actually haven't worn the gaiters for two of my treks and i found out it was okay definitely long pants long sleeved shirt but make sure that you've got a, a singlet or a t-shirt underneath in case it does get warm on your walk back. But basically, you want to ensure that you're not going to scratch yourself. So cover as much of your body as possible. A backpack with your water, you'll have some snack food in there and also any camera equipment that you want to take with you. A hat is definitely recommended because there are parts of the trek where you'll be out in the open and it does get quite warm. And Walking poles. So you can actually pick up walking poles on the day. If you've got your own, take your own most definitely. So registration, everything happens down the bottom of the mountain. You put in your groups, you have your head ranger. He's going to take you to basically the best experience of your life. And he'll explain to you what family you're going to see. So they'll already have the designated family set out. He'll explain to you how the family makeup is. Is there only one silverback? Is there two silverbacks? Are there only babies? Explains, and this is really important, the animal behavior. So he will actually give a demonstration of what to do safety-wise and what you can and can't do, all that kind of information. But he'll actually explain the behavior of the animal. So certain grunts that they make um will mean certain things. And that's how the ranger will also know, okay, well, our time here now is up and we have to move on or give this animal a bit more space. Or okay, this animal's in a good mood so we can spend a bit more time with them. Now when I say time as well, you actually only get one hour. And they are very strict on that. One hour with the animal and animals and that is it. So once that time's up, you do have to come back down. Once you're all sorted and you've had your safety briefing, it's time to go out and do your trek. Now, before you actually set off, you do have the option to hire a porter. So it doesn't matter if you're you butte you athlete and you're fit as a fiddle and you're so independent and you think you want to do it by yourself, that's great. Still hire a porter. They cost you about US $15.00. And they will not only help, obviously, with your bags and, and carrying anything that you need, but they are actually going to be there to catch you before you even know you're falling. Just like a helping hand when it comes to those sections of the track that are really muddy, things like that. But I think the most valuable thing you can do with spending that $15 US to get a porter is you're actually employing someone who possibly could have previously had employment as a poacher and by converting them to see the positive side of tourism and how they can actually make money through tourism instead of going out and doing illegal poaching so keeping these porters employed is absolutely vital now one of the best reasons i think to get a porter it's not obviously just because carrying your bags and helping you out with all of that stuff But the friendship you will gain from having a porter is just priceless. So my first trek in Rwanda in 2018, I had a porter called Gideon. Now, Gideon was quite shy at the start, and I'm quite a talker, so I think a lot of the time he just nodded and smiled at me. But by the end of the trek, and that was quite a long trek, that one, it was a hard one, by the end of the trek, he'd pick me up off my butt enough times to be able to open up and and he started speaking to me and he explained to me what he loved about the job, what some of the great experiences were that he's had doing the job and what he does outside of the job. So what he'd do in his spare time and what his family was like. So by the end of it, we were mates and it was really lovely. We got a photo and he's got this big grin on his face. Well, I tell you what, my trek last year in 2019 they gave us the porters that were available for that day and you wouldn't believe who i see there but smiling gideon and he recognized me i recognized him and i snapped him up straight away so for two years running i managed to have the same porter, and it was like just picking off a friendship from where we left off it was fantastic So not only is it $15 spent to help you physically get through that trek, it's also a friend for life. It's well worth it. So talking about the actual gorilla trek, I'm not going to go into too much depth here because I will do a separate podcast for this um, because I think it's something that needs a bit more detail. But basically, you are going to get muddy. You are going to get sweaty. You're going to get dirty you're going to be exhausted. You're going to fall on your butt. You're going to climb up. You're going to climb down. You're going to go sideways. You're going to go upside down. You're going to be holding on to stinging nettles. You're going to have bites. You're going to have scratches. You are going to be drained of all of your energy, but it is all worth it. I guarantee you for that one hour that you get to spend with these incredible, Incredible animals, you will be absolutely blown away. I was very emotional even after three times doing it. I cried like a baby. But those are memories that you will hold on to forever and it is worth every step up that mountain and every step back down. So I will do another podcast that goes into a bit more depth about the gorilla trekking experience because we are getting a bit tight in time now. And I wanted to leave room to speak about what I think is probably one of Rwanda's best kept secrets. And I'm going to say it again one of my favorite places in Rwanda, and that is Akagera National Park. So, Akagera National Park is located in the east of Rwanda, so northeastern part of Rwanda. And it borders with Tanzania. So a common view around Rwanda is this mountainous scenery I've told you all about. But Akagera National Park is just quite simply beautiful. Now, I've been really lucky. I have done a lot of game drives throughout a number of national parks across Africa And I don't think I've ever seen a national park as pretty as this one. So the landscape inside the park, it ranges from low, wide plains, like dominated by grass and cactus-like shrubs. But then that kind of morphs into this thick and thin forest amongst all this rugged terrain that you get so characteristically across Rwanda. But then in between that as well, you've got a number of lakes and these these reeds that just surround the lakes. And there's this plant there, these, these trees, and they're called fire pokers. So you've got this splash of red flowers coming from these trees and, and from the ground all over the place and it does look absolutely stunning. And it's interesting to go into a national park that you're meant to be doing game reserve drive and looking at the wildlife and actually be more in love with the actual scenery and how it looks. But that's what I felt when I got to Akagera. And while it is a gorgeous looking national park, it is actually also home to the Big Five. And that makes Rwanda one of the only places in the world where you can see the Big Six. You've got your gorillas and then you've got your Big Five. To give you a little bit more information about Akagera National Park, it was actually founded in 1934, but basically after the Rwandan genocide, a lot of the animals and the park just kind of got decimated. Um, It was hit really hard by poaching and a lot of the land was used as cultivation and farms. So it kind of disappeared for a bit. But in 2009, the Rwanda Development Board and Africa Parks signed a joint management agreement, and that really breathed life back into that national park. So if you're going to go and explore Akagera National Park, you've got two options. You can either stay within the national park or do a day trip throughout the park and then come and stay outside of the national park. If you do the day trips, I highly recommend getting a freelance guide to jump in your vehicle because they are going to be able to tell you all about the animals that you're seeing and help find them better and give you a lot more information than if you're just going to be reading out of a guidebook. Akagera National Park freelance guides are available from about 20 to 30 US dollars for the day and worth every penny. I used them the first time I visited and met the lovely Daniel. He is still a friend of mine today and I caught up with him last time I was there. Ask for Daniel, you will not be disappointed, I guarantee you. But if you're going to stay within the park, I cannot suggest this property enough, Magashi Camp. I was lucky enough to stay there after it just opened last year and it is absolutely incredible. So it's glamping style. It's a part of the wilderness safaris group. So you are getting that five-star luxury, fully inclusive experience, all your meals, all your drinks, all your game drives, and the property itself is stunning. It's actually set on a the side of a, a lake that's within the national park. So at night when you go to sleep in your lovely large bed, you are being serenaded by hippos that are just meters away from you in the water, and you're hearing animals pass by because it is an unfenced camp. So that kind of an experience is something that you you just cannot Go past if you've got the opportunity. And the good thing about Magashi Camp as well is you are actually in an area that's a kind of private conservancy for them, so only guests of that um, Magashi Camp can actually do their safari drives in that area. So when it comes down to the wildlife, I'll just give you an idea. Within my first 15, 20 minutes of my first game drive at Magashi Camp, We were sat in front of a leopard in a tree. Now, the good thing about this was there was not another vehicle in sight. So when I say Akagera National Park is one of Rwanda's best-kept secrets, that is because it does not have the over-tourism aspect to it yet that you might get in, say, Kruger National Park. Now, anyone that's done a game safari drive in Kruger National Park will know that if there's a sighting of an animal, you can bet your bottom dollar before long, there's at least 10, nearly 20 vehicles in that same vicinity. And what that does, I find, changes the behavior of the animal as well. They get quite used to that. So, In Akagera National Park, the one thing that stood out most to me was the animal behavior. It was completely different to the animal behaviors I've seen in other countries and their national parks. And it was really good because my guide, Adrian, that was with me from Magashi Camp, didn't actually go up closer to the animals so you could get a better look or get a better photograph or better experience. He was really respectful of the fact that okay, this this animal was a little bit jumpy because it's not used to humans and it, it knew that there was something there, but he didn't push that either. We stayed back from the animal and we kept our distance and I thought that was really, really important. Now, as much as I would love to keep talking about the experience in Akagera National Park, I've actually gone over my 40-minute mark and this is turning into quite a long podcast. So I'm going to have to wrap it up here. It just goes to show you, though, how incredible a country Rwanda is because I could sit here and tell you for another 40 minutes about even more incredible experiences you can have there. But I won't do that. I won't take you into another 40 minutes. So if you do want any more information about Rwanda, jump onto my website, which is www.travellerkate.com, as there is a heap of different articles all about my travels and adventures around Rwanda and links to any articles that were published across different publications. If you still have any more questions or you want to know anything more, do shoot me an email. My email address is kate at travelerkate.com. Thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoyed this chat about Rwanda. Please do tune in next week as I talk about my expedition on Hurtigruten Cruises that took me from Norway up into the Arctic. Until then, take care.